moment and cultivate a good motivation. And so let's bring to the forefront of our mind an awareness of the kindness we've experienced from other sentient beings, how our life depends on other living beings. There's no way for us to stay alive or even feel like we're meaningful. We have meaningful lives except in relationship to others. And all these other living beings want to be happy and be free of suffering as intensely as we do. And so let's generate love, wishing them to have that happiness, and compassion, wishing them to be free of suffering. Instead of leaving it just at the wishing level, let's generate the intention to actually engage in activities that bring about the welfare of other living beings and to stop harming them. do that, we really have to work on ourselves and free ourselves from our own greed and anger, resentment, confusion. So in order to best contribute to the welfare of the world, we have to work on ourselves. So let's generate the motivation to do that. And specifically to purify our mind completely of all disturbing emotions and wrong views so that we can really be of the greatest benefit and service to all living beings. So generate that motivation and let's have that be our reason why we're here together listening and sharing the Dharma today. Verse 37, the very last one. And it reads, To remove the suffering of limitless beings, 
understanding the purity of the three spheres. Dedicate the virtue for making such effort in all the preceding 36 practices. Dedicate the virtue for making such effort to enlightenment. This is the practice of bodhisattvas. Okay? So let's go through that kind of phrase by phrase because there's a lot in there. Okay, so this is the verse speaking about dedicating the merit. Merit is like spiritual goodness. It's the feeling of enrichment that we have when we uh, really work on ourselves and practice subduing our afflictions, our mental afflictions, and generating uh, very positive states of mind. Okay, that's what merit is, or the goodness, we're dedicating the goodness. Okay, so we're dedicating it to remove the suffering of limitless beings. Okay, now, this is interesting, isn't it? Limitless beings. In uh, a Buddhist worldview, you know, our planet Earth isn't the only place where there's life, you know. I mean, you look out there, there's a whole lot of room. And, <laughs> yeah, and a whole lot of different solar systems and different planets. And life on them may not require water like it requires on Earth, you know. Depending upon the kinds of bodies different living beings have, they may have different biological requirements. So we say that there's actually, you know, a limitless number of beings there. We can't count them all. Yeah? So people often ask, well, you know, our population on Earth is increasing. Where are all these other beings coming from if there's rebirth? And we say, well, beings that were born in other solar systems are now born here and Maybe some of them that were born here are born there or in different realms of existence. But anyway, the idea is that there's limitless living beings. And uh, I find remembering this very, very helpful, uh, especially at night here, because we can actually see the stars. Uh, I don't know, all you people from Spokane, can you see the stars? No. Gotta come out here more. Because <laughs> it's amazing in the in the evening. You can see all these stars. And you look up and you know there's so many planets and different things that you can't see because you know our eyes can't detect them. And you think, how many living beings are there? And what kind of experiences are they having right now? Or even here on planet Earth, you know, we're over 7 billion human beings, but in terms of animals and insects, wow, we're really outnumbered. And so what are the experiences of all those living beings? Apparently now there's one picture of a, a, a whale that's going crazy on the internet. Have people seen it? Some cute little whale. It doesn't look exactly like the whales we're used to. Nobody's seen it? Yes. Come on. Yeah. What do they call it? 
You don't remember? Yeah. It's some kind of... Yeah, I don't know how, if it's big or small. Do you? Is it the first one of its kind? They've discovered it? Is that what's going on with this little one? I'm not sure, because I haven't followed it. Okay. I just remember seeing this picture of this whale and hearing that everybody's crazy over it now. Um, yeah, but I, I would normally, on an average day, never think about what are the experiences of whales in the ocean. Yeah, and I hardly ever speak, think of the experiences of people in countries that, you know, where I don't know people. And yet, here's all these living beings that are having experiences. And from their own viewpoint, their experiences are really important to them. And they want to be happy and they don't want to suffer. And my blindness to the number of living beings there are in their own experience is really rather astounding when you think about it. Because yeah. who of all these limitless sentient beings, who's the most important one to me? Yeah, let me tell you, it's not you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I have to be truthful. Is it the little white with a bob on their head? Yeah. Beluga. In French, we call them beluga. Beluga. Okay. Are they big or small? Small. Small. The size of a dolphin. The size of a dolphin. Okay. Okay, so beluga whales. But anyway, you know. Is my concern in life with the happiness of each and every beluga whale? <laughs> you know? How about even human beings with each and every human being? Oh, what is, you know, for each of us, yeah, well, our foremost concern is with ourself. Yeah. And yet, we believe in democracy. And as I pointed out to people early, earlier this week, yeah, we, if we're going to have a vote about whose, whose happiness is more important and do it in a democratic way, then people who have more votes win, right? Okay, so we have two contestants for, to, to win, uh, you know, for winning who's the most important one. There's me, and there's countless sentient beings minus one. Okay, who's going to win the vote about whose happiness is more important? Well, you all know the elections are rigged if it turns out to be other sentient beings. <laughs> it's really supposed to be me. It's just rigged. But let's, let's pretend that the elections aren't rigged. I don't think they really are going to be, then it's really all sentient beings, isn't it? Yeah? Compared to the happiness of me of, as one human being and the happiness of all living beings, I'm outnumbered. Yeah? And I better get this through my thick skull at some point because otherwise everything I do 
is going to be really skewed, isn't it? Just thinking of myself going through life is not going to work. And it's not going to work just because there's more of others. But if I just pay attention to myself and my own needs and my own wants, even then am I going to be happy? This is a question that requires a lot of investigation because our instant thought is, yes, if I focus on myself, then I will be happy. Well, we've been focusing on ourselves since we were born. Have you achieved everlasting happiness? No. No. If we had, we would not be here today. (laughs) Okay? We haven't. So thinking that following this self-centered attitude is going to bring us some kind of ultimate bliss is really going about things in the wrong way because that has not been our experience so far, has it? Yeah? Now think about the times in your life where you felt completely uh, relaxed, completely open, completely without any anxiety. Those experiences you've had where you've been the most joyful, did they have something to do with connecting with other living beings? Yeah, they usually do, don't they? Yeah, when we've been able to have some kind of meaningful connection with other living beings, it really opens our own heart and enriches our own life in quite an amazing way. And so when we think about that, just looking at our own experience, then it makes us wonder if I'm most joyful when my heart is open towards others, why do I keep following this self-centered attitude that has not succeeded in making me happy until now? It's a good question, isn't it? It's a good question. Because we all want happiness. We all deserve happiness. And yet, what we do usually doesn't bring it. And it often brings more problems. Because, for example, the more self-centered we are, the more easily offended we are. I mean, really easily offended. Are you easily offended? Yeah? People don't say good morning to us in the right way. What's going on here? Yeah? People criticize us. They don't appreciate us. They don't comment on all the stupendous, wonderful things we do. Yeah? They even tell us that we're too fat or we're too thin or why don't we go get some Botox 
us because we have too many wrinkles. They say those kind of things to us. Yeah. They tell us to go get a life when we tell them that we spent our vacation time in meditation retreat. <laughs> yeah. They do all sorts of things. And just casual remarks that people make, often motivated by care and affection for us, we misinterpret and we get angry at them. Hmm? Yeah, because people give us advice often. They're they're well-meaning. They don't mean to harm us. They're trying to help. But we're so sensitive that, you know, because of our self-centered thought, that, you know, we get really like this. I read an article in the, in the New York Times just last week. There was, uh, you know, because everybody now is trying to correct everybody else's um, uh, things that they do that aren't very nice. Except not, of course, our own stuff, but other people do. So one woman was writing about, I guess she's overweight and she wears um, empire dresses. Yeah? So it looks like she's pregnant, but she's not pregnant. And so she's telling the story about being on the bus or the subway or something. And, and one man said, you know, please take my seat. And she said, no, I'm fine standing. And he said, oh, but every bump on the bus is hurting your child. <laughs> and so finally she sat down and he kind of, you know, patted her belly. And she was furious. You know, she was furious. And such a kind place. And by her speaking like that, believe me, I'm never going to say anything to another pregnant woman again. You know, it's going to inhibit my natural kindness because there's a 99.99% chance that maybe she isn't really pregnant and I'm going to offend her if I try and be kind. I mean, isn't that ridiculous, that super sensitivity? I almost wrote in a, in a comment, you know? <laughs> but I restrained myself. <laughs> you know, and, and the story I would tell, you know, talking about super sensitivity, even when people mean well, is I cannot tell you the number of times, especially in airports, because I fly a lot, you know, I'll be getting on a plane, or I'll be in the restroom or something, and some woman will come up and put her hand on my shoulder, and she'll say, don't worry, dear, your hair will go back when the chemo's done. <laughs> yeah? Now, very fortunately, <laughs> you know, I don't have cancer. Now, I could be like this lady who wrote the article and get really offended, but actually, I'm very touched. Yeah? I'm very touched that a stranger would care about me, even, you know, even if I'm not taking chemo and I don't have cancer, that they would reach out and say something kind to a stranger. 
I find that very touching and very moving. Yeah. But somebody else could be really upset by it, and you know, eat, and very offended by it. So what's the difference? I mean, I experience lots of things where I could be offended. <laughs> like like when, when I'm on the plane and the flight attendant says, what would you like to drink, sir? <laughs> you know, but I don't, I, you know, it's such a waste of time to be offended. I just say orange juice, and then they say, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I say, oh, it's no problem, happens all the time. <laughs> uh, so I think it's important, you know, that, that we, uh, we look at people's good intentions instead of being so prickly when they say things to us, because so often they're trying to help, you know, and we don't like it. We feel like they're interfering in our lives or bossing us around or, you know, something like that. But they're coming from a good place if we could open our hearts to that. Okay, so to remove the suffering of these limitless beings who have all been kind to us, who mean well, yeah. And who we often turn into enemies due to our self-centeredness. Yeah. So for their benefit, we're going to dedicate all the spiritual goodness. Yeah. For their benefit. You know, so that they may attain the highest spiritual states of liberation and full awakening, full enlightenment. Yeah where they will, ha they will, in the future, have removed all the causes for their misery and their dis unsatisfactory states. Yeah. So we're dedicating the results of our own efforts uh, at spiritual practice for the welfare of others. So even our own virtue, we try and train our mind to give that away. Yeah. So not only giving, you know, possessions and time and energy and service, you know, and in the case of a few people, maybe even giving their body, yeah, we're, uh, but, you know, their organs or whatever, um, we're, we're giving also our spiritual virtue, which is, in what, from a Buddhist perspective, is actually more important than our body and our our possessions and all those things because our spiritual virtue is really what is the cause for happiness not the self-centered mind yeah our good karma is what brings about happiness one time uh you know but okay but our our self-centeredness sometimes can get even stingy about giving away our merit, our spiritual virtue. Uh, one time, many years ago, when I lived in Singapore, um, one man had uh, come to see me, 
and actually he, he, I owe a great deal to this man because he, uh, I had, was newly arrived in Singapore and he, they have a, a, a practice in Singapore of giving donations to publish Dharma books for free distribution. And so he said, you know, if you ever want to write a book, let me know, I would like to make a donation so it can be uh, distributed freely. At that time, I had no intention of ever writing books. Yeah. Well, <laughs> things turn out differently than you think. And uh, anyway, so he, he wound up, you know, helping to publish the first little booklet I did called I Wonder Why. And he wanted to learn how to meditate, so he was... He came over, and in the temple I was teaching him some meditation. And then at the end, you know, because we always have this practice of at the beginning generating our motivation of love and com compassion and altruism, and at the end dedicating our merit, our virtue, for the benefit of all living beings. So I explained to him, you know, now it's time to share our merit and to give it away. And he looked at me and he said, I have so little merit, I don't want to give it away. <laughs> yeah, it's really kind of heart-wrenching, <laughs> yeah, to see this man say that. And I had to explain to him, but by giving it away, you create more. Yeah, when we're generous, we create more joy, we create more happiness, we create more goodness. So finally he agreed to do the prayer with me. <laughs> but he was really kind of scared when I, when I said that. Um, yeah, so we're giving away all of our spiritual virtue. And we're giving it, it's, it says here, understanding the purity of the three spheres. So this is talking about our mental attitude when we're giving away our virtue, okay? So, of course, we have a mental attitude of generosity and care and really wishing that the outcome of our actions ripen in the benefit, the ultimate benefit of all living beings. But talking about um, understanding the, the purity of the three spheres is talking about how we look at ourselves as the person who created virtue, the virtuous action, the object of our virtue, the other person that we were acting, you know, in relationship to. And it means seeing that the three, these three components to any action, agent, object, and action, these three com components exist dependent on each other. Yeah. We usually think, yeah, like if we're going to take an action like hitting the gong, okay? We usually think, okay, here's the person who's going to hit the gong, and here's the gong, and here's the action of hitting the gong. And there are three separate things that are independent of each other. Yeah? That's how I see them. Yeah? It's a gong from its own side. I'm, I'm the ringer. 
I'm the ringer from my own side, and the action of ringing is, you know, from its own side. But in actual fact, yeah, I don't become the bell ringer unless there's a bell and an action of ringing. And the bell doesn't become a bell until it's possible for somebody to ring it. So the bell being a bell depends on the ringer and the ringing. Otherwise, if there was no ringer and no ringing, somebody could call this a bowl and have lunch out of it. Be an interesting restaurant to have. <laughs> Served your food in bowls like this. But this could be a bowl, couldn't it? So, it being a bell depends on the ringer and the ringing. The action of ringing depends on the bell and the ringer. The ringer being, you know, the bell ringer is not a bell ringer unless there's an action of ringing and a bell. Okay? So these three exist dependently. They're interdependent on each other. They don't exist as isolated uh, factors with their own independent essence. Okay? And so they are empty of having any kind of independent essence. So that's the kind of understanding we want to bring to every action we do, including here in this verse, uh, the action of dedicating our merit for the welfare of all beings. Now, in, when writing this book, okay, um, it's based on some, some teachings that I gave here at the Abbey, and someone transcribed it and edited it. And then I thought, gee, it would be really nice to put some stories in uh, that people had from when they actually tried to practice the different verses in here. So there's two very short stories. Um, from when people were practicing this verse that I thought I would read to you. Okay. I, I changed the names in the stories, but since this is true confession time, actually the first one is about me. Embarrass, embarrassingly so. Okay. So I'll read you the story. So uh, this is my experience. My teacher sometimes likes to chant prayers extremely slowly. He does this in order to contemplate their meaning and to meditate on the emptiness of the person dedicating, the merit being dedicated, and the action of dedicating. But sometimes my mind is restless and I want to dedicate quickly and move on to the next activity. And my teacher is doing this very slow, melodic dedication. On one verse after another verse. Okay. And so it was one afternoon at the concluding of teachings. My teacher was relishing drawing out each Tibetan syllable as long as possible. Plus, the person sitting next to me was chanting in a very loud an off-tune voice. The Chinese version of Tibetan phonetics, which it seems were 
done incorrectly and did not match the Tibetan pronunciation. <laughs> so here's this guy singing really loudly, off-tune, mispronouncing the whole Tibetan prayer. My mind started its own cacophony inside me in reaction to all of this. A precious opportunity to rejoice at the merit of myself and others was going down the tubes, and I was unhappy and angry to boot. I so much wanted to say, could you sing softer? He was so off tune. <laughs> I remember this so clearly. Um, I told myself to focus all my attention on the meaning of the dedication verses and to ignore everything else. Contemplate each word you were saying, I told myself, and slowly my mind began to be inspired. By the end of the prayer, my mind was calm and filled with genuine sense of rejoicing at the virtue and goodness in the world. Instead of wanting to get out of that room as fast as I could, I was marveling at my good fortune to be part of a group of people headed by my teacher who had made removing the suffering of living beings the purpose of their lives. Okay, here's another story. This one is not mine. I forget whose it is. Okay, but the person said, when I earn money or create merit, I want to use it all for myself. I think I deserve it because the money or the merit came from my hard work. But I've begun to see that this thinking ignores the reality that I am completely interconnected with others. I could not have earned or created anything without the generosity and kindness of others. To challenge that kind of self-centeredness, I imagine giving away all my merit. After all, it didn't belong to me in the first place, and I can never ever repay all the kindness of sentient beings that has come my way since beginningless time. Dedicating the merit challenges my usual habit of taking the good results of my efforts for myself. Also, it opens my heart to others and to the illusory nature of phenomena. Okay, so those were two people's experiences with, uh, you know, working with that verse and thinking of dedicating their spiritual goodness to others. So, we have a little bit of, of time for Q&A or comments. So, please ask whatever you like. Yeah? I was wondering if you could clarify, when you dedicate, um, you say it creates a cooperative condition, just what that is, a cooperative condition for their good karma to ripen mm -hmm. as compared to their bad karma? Mm -hmm. Okay. So sometimes, like after people die or when people are ill, when we dedicate the merit, will dedicate for all living beings, but particularly for someone who is recently deceased or somebody who is sick, okay? So in those kind of situations, it's like we're sending 
all of our, we're sending our good energy to them. It's a good, you know, way to, to express it. We're sending our good energy to them, and that can help. Uh, they, they may have created virtue, good karma of their own in the past, and by our sending our prayers and good wishes to them, it acts as a cooperative condition for their good karma to ripen. So a cooperative condition is um, like another causal factor that is not the main thing, but it helps the main thing bear its result. Like if we plant a garden, the seeds are the principal causes, and the water, fertilizer, and warm temperature are the cooperative conditions. Does that answer your question okay? This is your time to ask questions. Don't be shy, because probably somebody else has a similar question or comment to you. Really? Thank you, Julia. <laughs> so when you've done something, um, when you've been in a situation where you've been easily offended and found later that you were so wrong, how do you rectify that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> you've been in a situation where you've been deeply offended, and then you realize that you had totally misunderstood the situation. Yeah, you've made your own whole giant story around why you should be so offended and you know, you've got this whole big thing going on about it and then you find out that the whole big thing you had was totally not even happening, that wasn't a person's intention, <laughs> you know. Then how do you rectify that? Yeah, okay. So how do you rectify it? Well, we become a little bit humble, and we go to the person who, if we had misunderstood their good intentions or their actions, or we had imputed wrong motivations on them that they didn't have, we go to them and we apologize. And then, hopefully, we can all laugh at um, how silly our minds are sometimes. Yeah? I think we have to laugh. And when that kind of situation, if somebody, uh, you know, is offended by something we did, and then later, when we meant no offense, and later comes to apologize, we should definitely forgive them, and we should definitely help them learn to laugh at it, you know? Because otherwise, we're just so serious about things that we need not be serious about. You want to hear another story? Okay. So when I was in, how old was I? I must have been maybe 14. And it was summertime, and my parents' wedding anniversary is August 3rd. And so my brother and I decided that we were going to get them a plaque for their anniversary. I forget what number anniversary it was. Yeah. So um, I was in summer school and, you know, walking back from summer school. And I was always supposed to take a particular route because then if my mom came, was in nearby, she would, you know, pick me up on the route. 
Well, the, way, the place to order the plaque was off the route. So, uh, you know, I thought, well, you know, she won't come today to pick me up. So I went and I ordered it, and uh, then I continued on home. And did I get it when I got home? I was driving that whole route looking for you. Why weren't you there? Where did you go? I, on and on and on, I was so worried you had been kidnapped. Uh, <laughs> on and on and on, you know. I got in so much trouble and I couldn't say anything because this was a surprise gift for their anniversary. <laughs> so I just kept my mouth shut. So then their anniversary came and we gave them the plaque and my mom felt so bad. She said, how? well, she said, how did you get this? I said, well, remember that day when I was walking home? <laughs> I was at the plaque shop ordering this, that. Oh, she felt so horrible, you know? So, but, you know, she came to, to realize, well, you, had to, you, you understand why she felt badly. But, you know, in those kind of situations, like, all you can do is just laugh and, and, and forgive and know that, you know, hey, people make mistakes. So, yeah, we've got to apologize to people when we do that and accept their apology when they do that. It's embarrassing, though, isn't it? Yeah? And it makes us really kind of ooh, feel kind of humble and embarrassed. But, you know, feeling humble and embarrassed is actually quite good for us. Yeah, because in general, we're usually pretty inflated. Yeah, or am I just speaking about myself here? Yeah, but we're usually pretty inflated, especially Americans, you know? Don't you think? Yeah. Which is why we're so sensitive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's good for us to get our pride reduced. Don't you can think of it also in this way. What a wonderful opportunity you've been given to ask for forgiveness and to talk to this person and set this straight. It's such an incredible opportunity, and sometimes so much good comes from that. Yeah. Oh, it's just, it makes you feel so much better. Yeah. Yeah, you feel so much better. And sometimes those kind of discussions where we apologize actually opens a door to deeper communication with the person. Yeah. Anything else? So I have a different take on what we just talked about. Where, are where, where I had somebody, a young family member, misinterpret a, a kind gesture on my part and got upset. And so when I realized that, I... I tried to straighten it out, and so all I've been is ignored. So then there's the person that can't yeah. say I'm sorry. You know, I didn't that I took you wrong. They just decide to keep making it bad by just not accepting my apology or trying to fix it. Yeah, yeah. Well, she was the one who had yeah, she blown got, things yeah, out. Yeah, she got upset because she when I was trying to. Oh, give unwanted advice, which I'll just Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So so you learned that it's not so good to give unwanted yeah. advice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, <laughs> but maybe that's what you learn. Maybe that's the point of the story. <laughs> But see, I think it, it's helpful if you acknowledge, because she was offended, you know, to acknowledge, well, you know, it was, I, I was doing it with a kind heart, but I recognize that it, it was unwanted advice that you hadn't asked for, and I'm sorry I did that. And then see if she uh, changes perspective. And that's what I did. That's and she didn't. Then nothing to do. Nothing to do. Yeah. And just relax, smile, be polite, be pleasant, be friendly. <laughs> She's the one suffering, isn't she? Yes. Yeah, unfortunately. Bring her, you know, give her a, a copy of this talk. want to dedicate for the highest good. Yeah? Because what we dedicate for um, is similar to what we motivate for. It influences what the actual result will be. And if we just dedicate, may I win the lottery because of this merit, you may or may not win the lottery. And you may or not be happy after winning the lottery. You know, sometimes people have really big problems after winning the lottery. I read about somebody, what had happened? Somebody broke in his house after he won the lottery and he was killed or something. I can't remember, but somehow he died after collecting his money from the... So, anyway, you dedicate for something small. It may or may not ripen like that. So it's always good to dedicate for the biggest, best good which is the full awakening of all living beings. May all living beings be free of ignorance, anger, and attachment. May they all develop equanimity, love, compassion, and joy. May they uh, you know, generate the wisdom of realizing the ultimate nature of reality. So you always dedicate for the biggest thing. And then you can dedicate for other things that are more immediate. You know, like we were talking, the good rebirth of somebody who, who recently passed away or somebody who was ill or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have another question about merit that's arguably semantic. Mm-hmm. Um, but you described it as like a spiritual goodness. Mm-hmm. And I'm really confused about that term and what it means because there's no concept of spirit within us. Oh, by spiritual goodness. I use the word spiritual in, in, in the idea of religious. Yeah, except some people don't like religion so much, but they find spiritual practice to be uh, a better word, so I often use that. Okay, yeah. Uh-huh. We, we 
so used to do our dedication uh, when somebody passed away. Uh -huh. So the person may not be a Buddhist, so we still do our dedication, say at home, right? Uh -huh. And then somebody will ask, how do you know the person will receive it? Uh -huh. So I said, I don't know, but I just said, okay, hopefully you'll receive it. Yeah. Is that correct answer? Yeah. <laughs> you know, because, you know, how it influences them is not an evident phenomena to us. Yeah. But what's good is that we have a kind heart and think of doing that. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have the psychic powers to know the, the you know, long-term effect of that. Okay. So, let's dedicate the merit. <laughs> Due to this merit, may we soon attain the awakened state of Guru Buddha, that we may be able to liberate all sentient beings from their suffering. May the precious Bodhi mind not yet born arise and grow. May that born have no decline, but increase for.